You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Today, I'm here with Wendy Lieber. Wendy, thank you for being on the program. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And Wendy is founder of Content Bacon. And we're going to hear a little bit about the company. And it, it is a great example of a service-based business. So I'm excited to hear you know, how you founded the company, kind of how you've been able to grow and scale it. I know you're, you've been going through a lot of growth recently. So I'm curious and, and excited to hear about that. Why don't we start with just a, a little bit of background, how you got into the business, what the business kind of originally did, and then how you've kind of grown and evolved it over time. Sure. So the Content Bacon was founded in the fall of 2014, and I previously had another company called Athena Marketing that was more a strategic marketing company. And everything I did at Athena Marketing was customized consulting. So it was very challenging to scale, and I was very interested in scaling a business. And I happened to be at that time in the EO Accelerator program, which was all about, you know, how to scale above a million dollars. And I met my current partner, Dave Custon, in Accelerator. And we started just kind of collaborating on, he was more in the branding, um, brand identity side. And again, what I was doing was more strategy consulting. And we started kind of collaborating on what we might do together. And one thing I had noticed is that every company was challenged with how to create enough content to stay relevant in today's world with all the social media that was, you know, becoming more and more important, just keeping your website up to date. And so that's really how it was born was, hey, why don't we deviate from what we're doing, take what we're seeing and create a company that is just hyper-focused on content creation. So we created a subscription-based service where companies could sign up for you know, a, a package of content that might include a certain amount of blogs, a certain amount of social media, emails, and we wanted to make it really easy. We wanted to make it really affordable, but we also wanted to make sure it was high quality. So we invested a lot in our infrastructure and finding, you know, good writers, good editors. And we, we, you know, we, like I said, we started in the fall and um, here we are almost four years later and we've grown exponentially. Yeah, that's great. So let me ask a little bit about that pivot. Cause I think that's, it's a key kind of strategy. It's a key thing. And that I think a lot of service-based businesses run into, which is they've got a pretty good client base and they have kind of a range of services that work with that client base. But as they go to scale, they really, it becomes challenging. It's a challenging to figure out how to grow the staff, how to grow the kind of capabilities. When you focus, when you decided to focus on the content development, how did that conversation happen or what did that look like? And did you look at sort of lots of different angles there? Was it, you know, were there other ideas that you were grappling with or was it that was it kind of an epiphany aha for you? Yeah. So focus was definitely one of those things I had kept hearing about, but I wasn't doing yeah. like I really had it. That saying yes to everything made me invaluable to my clients. And I got that. And when you're invaluable to your clients, 
you cannot scale. <laughs> so people, what you, you can't take a vacation either. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's, you know, at one point that was what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to be invaluable to my clients. They would call me at three o'clock in the morning if they had an issue. And again, it's like, be careful what you wish for. So the aha moment was really understanding what held me back from having a scalable yeah. business, realizing it was me. And so one of the things I had started to do prior to officially launching Content Bacon is I had created these you know, content packages, if you will, for current clients and was just kind of dabbling in them. At that time, I was doing all of the writing and editing and posting. But what I learned is the interaction with the customers was so much easier. They gave me their credit card. So every month, you know, it went through. I didn't have the same type of interaction with them because they were just so happy to kind of be checking the box on those things. And so that was really the aha is that I had something mm -hmm. that required less of me, you know, the customer facing side. And I had something that I could really start to identify the processes and systems that I was using because that was the other key thing with Athena Marketing. I never knew how I did anything because yeah. I did it from scratch every time. So even if I wanted to scale, I didn't know how because I was just basing it on, you know, me and what I knew and what the customer was dealing with. And it was all customized and, it, and there was nothing that was this is how we do this. This is how we do that. So that was the other key thing that held me back was I had no systems and processes. Yeah. I like the idea of kind of the experiment of figuring out how to take your current customers find a product or service that you can you can kind of provide them knowing that you can do it now but it's something you could easily find other staff to do but i think the trick there is to have the discipline to do it in a systematic way so even if you know well you could create a really great custom piece you know a, the perfect article for them for this one thing if it's not something you know you could produce repeatedly with other staff then not do it because you really want to test that that piece. I like that idea and I think it's something a lot of people can try because it's they've got current customers and a lot of times it's just figuring out what is the anger or what is the service I can provide for them that I could scale. Um, yeah, and I think something that I had learned, again, I learned the hard way is, you know, I would go on entrepreneurial vendors all the time, <laughs> you know, so other people would approach me with ideas for that they wanted me to pursue. And I always thought everyone's business, you know, mm -hmm. was more interesting and faster to grow than mine. So I would constantly, you know, get the shiny object syndrome and go, yeah, I'll work on that. And again, just go on these tangents. Mm -hmm. And so this was finally when I did it for myself and I started saying no to anything and everything. And even when Dave and I first started talking, because I had kind of gone down different routes like that before, I was like, kind of like a big no, like I'm not doing, yeah. you know, I'm not collaborating our businesses together because then we would have just had a bigger version of what we already had. But what I had said is I have been dabbling in this side thing that I'd be willing to explore with you. And, and that was the difference maker, it was finally me owning what I wanted to do and not letting other people's ideas, you know, that they would come to me with distract me, which I think probably a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to is that, you know, every, every other business seems more sexy and more interesting than ours at the time. Yeah. Well, I like the, uh, I like the idea of an entrepreneurial bender because <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a hangover, like you have to get back into your business. Um, and and usually, usually it's 
is probably posted some EO event where you're away for the week and yeah. <laughs> having, having uh, fed all sorts of new ideas and, and yeah. talking with other folks. Yeah. So you've figured out this niche. You kind of focused on the content development. Once you kind of figured out this area, how did you iterate or how did you kind of hone in the product? So you mentioned that you, you know, were doing monthly subscriptions. Like how did you come up with kind of the packaging of that, the, the pricing of that, the uh, honing the options that people had within that service? Yeah, it was really based on just what I had already been learning by doing it and, you know, kind of just some guesstimating that, hey, we're going to start with a good, better, best scenario and we're going to introduce it and let's see what kind of response we get. And we got, you know, sometimes I'd rather be, you know, lucky than smart. We got lucky because what we were proposing and I think, you know, I was very sensitive to price points. I wanted to make sure you know, I was in that entrepreneurial community, you know, at that time, you know, I was under a million and, and mm-hmm. you know, with accelerators. So I kind of knew what the thresholds were. At least I thought I knew what the thresholds were for what people might spend on a service like this. And so just creating kind of those price points that I thought were really valuable for the the client and, and gave them, you know, that content that had them look relevant, had them look like they had a pulse, would, you know, increase their traffic and awareness. And then we just went out and, and tested it. And, and you know, to this day, that's what we're always yeah. doing. Just, you know, we were using the market to test and validate what, you know, what our offering is and what makes the most sense and what people really need. And sometimes they know what they need and sometimes they don't know and yeah. we can educate them. How and, and at this point, your ideal or poor customer, how would you describe them? So when we first started, we um, we kind of had three different groupings of customers. We had kind of the, the customer who really didn't know about content marketing, but once they got educated, were like, oh, I need to do this and I need help. Then we had the second type customer that had dabbled in this, had tried to do it themselves and just realized how challenging it is to create content on a consistent basis, but really understood the value already, didn't necessarily need to be educated so much, but needed a a reliable resource. And then the third was someone who was investing heavily in this, saw the value, but just needed more and wanted more and wanted an additional reliable resource. And what we found, so those were kind of what we started with. And what we Mm -hmm. found was one and two were our initial sweet spot with two being our true core. And that to this day, we've refined it since then today, like today, we're more niche focused with um, technology companies, healthcare, and kind of a big bucket of professional services, which is you know yeah. attorneys, accountants, insurance, and the key attributes are one, you know these these companies want to position themselves as subject matter experts. Mm-hmm. They have prospects that do research online. It's a considered purchase, and you know the the value of it and the time it takes for someone to make a decision is. You know, there's there's some time and money there. So it's worth investing in content on a consistent basis to build that asset. So that's truly who our core customer is today. And mm-hmm. revenue wise, they're usually you know between two and 20 million. Got it. Good. And I think that's great that you have <laughs> put the work in to actually define the core ideal customer, because I think that's that's something that can be done. I'm assuming that as you've kind of refined your offering and refined that target, you had customers along the way that were historical or, or legacy customers that didn't meet, didn't fit that core or didn't want that service. How, how did you deal with that? Yeah. So some, we, we did. So we had um, a couple of things happen that, that were both helpful and, and, and also learning lessons. So 
I was able to take a lot of my Athena marketing clients and transition them to content bacon customers. And some of those we still have today, thankfully. Some of our, you know, early customers that we took on because, you know, at that point we were just hungry. They just kind of caused themselves out. It just didn't, it just didn't, didn't work. And then when we got to a point where we felt like we could, you know, fire customers, you know, we, we did that. You know, we, we just had conversations and we started weeding out customers that just weren't, were not the right fit. And then today we are very careful about the sales process and the qualification process and making sure that the customers that we do bring on really fit the mold. Because what we, what we learned is that the customers that don't take up so much time, <laughs> so much energy, and we give them that time and energy, and yeah. then it ends up not going well, you know, for anyone. So, yeah. you you know, it's like you, you don't even get the, the benefit of that, and you neglect the customers that, you know, really need and deserve your attention. So that's a lesson, you know, I think we're always learning. Um, yeah. just, we just had a big experience with a Fortune 500 company, a division of a Fortune 500 company that we were so excited about. And we're like, okay, this could be a new niche for us. And we just completely overlooked some of the the questions that one needs to ask to enter that market. Like, what's your process on your side to approve? You know, how many people are involved in the decision-making? Things that seem so common sense now, but we didn't ask those questions. And it turned out to be a nightmare because the bureaucracy of dealing with a company like that versus the entrepreneurial companies we deal with, even though it was a smaller division, just completely ate all of our, our margin. Yeah. And so if we are going to enter into that, which, you know, we, we might, you know, we've, we've now learned the hard way, you know, how to do it smartly. Yeah. Give us some insight in terms of the, the questions you do ask. So when you're dealing with a prospect or you're kind of qualifying uh, a prospect, What are some of the key questions uh, or things that you look at that help you identify whether or not they're going to be an ideal customer? Yeah. So part of it is, you know, their understanding about content marketing, inbound marketing, what they're doing today, what results they're looking for and Mm -hmm. how quickly or not quickly they're looking for results. So if they are coming to us and they're expecting to go from, you know, never doing any kind of blogging or, or, you know, social media or email campaign, which again, seems really basic, but you'd be surprised how many companies just aren't doing that. And they think that by doing that, that they're going to start getting, you know, leads right away. That's a warning sign for us. So one of the things we try to do is understand, well, what are, what are you doing today? Where are you at today? What's, what's your traffic that you're getting? A lot of times they don't know that or they're getting very low traffic. What kind of conversions are you getting through your online efforts today? Again, if they're not getting any, you know, then we, we probably need to start with, you know, let's grow your traffic. Let's grow your, your you know, kind of conversions first. Um, so we try to really take our time to understand where they're at and educate them on, you know, to me, it's very similar to going to a networking event. If you go to a networking event and you're looking to get customers at a networking event, you're probably going to repel everyone at that <laughs> because of the way you're being, the yeah. way you're, you know, Wrong energy. Yeah. versus if you go wanting to add value, you know, wanting to get to know people, wanting to develop relationships, it's going to take longer, but it's going to be, you know, more valuable for you. And it's really the same. If you're, you're building an asset with this and, you know, our whole, our whole way of being as a company is we believe that being an educator 
giving more than you get is a way of being that if you take that on has tremendous benefits. And so we, you know, try to look for companies that have that same willingness, that same way of being, because that's what wins today, not hard sell, quick turturounds. Um, no. this, this is not direct response marketing. You know, if you want to go spend money on those things, you know, that's fine. That's just not our niche. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the um, uh, growth of the company in terms of people. Uh, so I think a lot of this ends up as you begin to find this uh, service niche and, I, you know, kind of core customer, ideal customer, that the flip also happens, which is you start to see what kind of cultural values or cultural traits you're really going to zero in on and, and what you need to build in terms of organization, um, which means you need to get more focused and more specific about the people that you bring on. What have you noticed over time in terms of ways in which you've identified who ends up really being a good fit at the company and who does not? And how? what have you put in place to try to increase your batting percentage on those things? Yeah. So this is, you know, ongoing. I think for me, yeah. you know, I went from being the doer in my business to having to really grow and develop myself as a leader where I spend the majority of my time today in that mode, you know, yeah. creating the culture, implementing the culture, reinforcing the culture and, and the whole hiring. And so, you know, I've really had to develop myself to do that successfully. And so the first thing is just understanding what your culture is. And again, because I came from that, you know, EO accelerator, EO environment, you know, that was, I think that was one of the, the biggest things in this business is that I was able to utilize so much of what I had learned and not done in my previous business in this business from the get go. So creating the, those values, having a hiring process. So again, you know, I used to hire just kind of based on gut feel and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I hated it, you know, because yeah. it was so challenging. And so I found a process that, at least gave us some early indicators. So, you know, we, um, when we put out ads, we don't ask for resumes. We put our core values in the ads. And the first thing people have to do is, you know, let us know why they think they would be a good fit, how they've exemplified those values. So that filters out, you know, like 95% of the people, because most people don't follow directions, which, yeah. you know, doesn't work for us you know, that's a key piece. And then we spend a lot of time in the hiring. And and again, it's sometimes it's very challenging because sometimes we need people quick and you just want to, you mm -hmm. know, get a good gut feel and hire them, which always ends up badly. So, you know, we spend a lot of time, we use um, the who process. Like, what is that? Jeff Smart. Jeff Smart. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we have an intro call that we, you know, we have very specific questions we ask. We have a very long interview, um, whether it's, you know, here in our office or, or via Zoom that we, tediously go through things, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're writing down things as they tell us, like who they reported to. So when we ask for references, we're not asking for them to give us references. We're saying, hey, can we talk to this person who you reported to? So all of that. Um, and so we've added in our own things because there are certain things you have to be able to do in this environment. You know, if you're an editor or writer, you, know, you have to be able to edit or write. So we have different tests that yeah. we have people take. And we keep kind of adding to that. We do a lot of stuff in real time where we just kind of put people on the spot to see how they react. And the more we've put that into place, the better, you know, the better we're hiring. And again, if we can find people that are coachable and that have the right values, there's so much of what we do that we can teach versus yeah. if, we, if we find the people that have the experience and that seem like they'd be perfect, but they don't have our culture, they never fit and, yeah. and end up 
costing is so much more. So I can't say that I've got it nailed. It's definitely one of my biggest challenges as in growing this business is growing the team and finding the right people. But, you know, luckily I have some tools, I have some resources, I have some systems that, that make it a little bit easier. Yeah. And uh, I think that's pretty common. Actually, I, I know Vern did a, uh, Vern Harnish did a presentation up here in, in Jersey a while ago and pulled the audience out of the four decisions, you know, um, you know, people's strategy, execution, cash, which is the hard one. And, and I think it was over 50% of the audience was people. So uh, it, it's, I, I think it's pretty common for most, most companies and especially most companies at this kind of growth stage. And, and ironically, I think, or maybe not ironically, I think there's a correlation as, as you refine and target and zero in on your service, the training side actually becomes easier because now the, the, the amount of things you're doing and how well you've defined them and made them repeatable has increased. So you can actually focus more on the uh, on the cultural side, on the cultural fit side, because you know you can you can train. You have processes, you have ways of teaching people how to do things. So you don't need to be quite as focused on the technical skill. I mean, certainly you need fundamentals of, you know, being able to write and things like that, but you know, how to run this system, how to do a blog post, you know, those kind of things become very teachable. So, which is a huge strategic advantage from a business point of view, because your ability then to go out to the market to find talent shifts dramatically and it opens up to probably to a lot of people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to go to if you didn't have these defined processes. And I think that's something that people don't realize on the strategy side is one of the reasons we want to do that really zero in on the service is that actually makes it easier to find talent or find good talent. Sure. So. sure. Yeah. And it help. it makes it so much easier. And again, not that we're there yet where this is still something we're finding, but when you find talent onboarding them, so having you know, that training process that doesn't cause so much brain damage to the organization every time you bring on a new person because you've now developed, you know, very similar to what we do with our, our customers when we onboard, you know, we're doing that same thing with our new team members so that we can constantly be bringing on new team members without it disrupting the organization. And I think that's the other key thing about the hiring is always be hiring. Because yeah. we have so many times gotten, felt like we had our team filled out and like, okay, you know, we can take a breather. And then inevitably something happens, whether it's a growth spurt or someone leaves or moves. And then, you know, you just don't realize how, just like in sales, you don't realize how long it takes to kind yeah. of fill that pipeline again. So we are constantly, you know, hiring and, and keeping the bench so that we've got people ready to go. And that was a lesson we, we learned the hard way, not just once, not just twice, probably three times. <laughs> three times a charm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. It, it's a funnel. Uh, I think the way you kind of compare it to sales is is really, um, you know, on point because I, it is it's about having a flow of opportunities. Uh, and if you are not constantly filling the top of that funnel, uh, you will, it will go dry. And it often goes dry when you need it the most. <laughs> and it's often, it, it's one of those delay factors. So, you know, if you wait until you need a person to start looking for a person, you're, you're far too late. And, you know, you're looking months, months out and you're probably putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be pulling the trigger, hiring people maybe too quickly and that are not a best fit, or at least, you know, given more time and more candidates, you could, you could choose a much better candidate. So 
you know, I think both of those are really key. You know, I always love to give kind of people the sense, a chance to talk about other, other things they've learned, other lessons that they've, um, they've had. Uh, what else would you recommend for folks that are in this kind of leadership position in this kind of growth company uh, mode in the kind of services uh, sectors? What else have you learned that you think would be helpful for them to, to know or hear about? Yeah, so I'll just reiterate focus because I think when you market to everyone, you market to no one. And I think getting really crystal clear at what you want to be great at and you know what you don't want to be great at is a really important thing to on an ongoingly basis do. And and we've done that where often you know we're focused and then customers start asking for custom things and we start saying yes and all of a sudden we're not focused anymore. So. It's not just something you do once. It's something that you have to, I think, do on an ongoing basis. I think the other key thing for us was hiring before you think you're ready. So I think when you're at the early stages and you don't think you have the cash flow to support whatever position it is, you know, you will, you know, you'll end up doing it yourself with the mindset, oh, when I, you know, when this happens, I'll hire someone. We hired people to start doing the writing, start doing all the things that we knew we didn't want to do before we had cash flow because we didn't want to get sucked into that again. And it works out because then you have the ability to go do the things that you're really good at. So, you know, I always, I think that's, that's really important. I also love the, you know, the line Jack Daly uses, if you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant, (laughs) you know, and I think sometimes we don't realize how much assistant type stuff we let fall in our lap and it just takes away from the best and highest use of your talents. And I think, I think even more importantly, it thwarts the growth of your business. If you're doing that, you're, you're really holding your business back. I mentioned developing systems and processes. You know, again, I can't tell you how important that is. And that was one of the things I had heard so many times and just never did. And it's just so important that if you want to scale, you have to be able to show people how to do what you do. And not that I want to be like a McDonald's, but McDonald's is a great example because they're able to create that consistency because they've got such you know, strong systems and processes for everything they do. And if yeah. you can't train people because it's all in your head, then, you know, you're, you're holding your, I'm curious how, do you have any good examples of um, processes that you kind of started with or that you realize were, were really important for you in the growth of the business to get, to get out of your head and into something and, and how you give us some insight on how you actually did that. Was that you writing it down on a checklist? Did you create videos? What was the process for doing that? Yeah, I think all of the above. Again, I think because I came from a company where I was the company and I handled all facets mm-hmm. facets of the customer interaction that when when I had people, you know, on my team that could do that, but there might be a problem with the customer and I was so used to jumping in and handling any problem because that's what I did and I realized by doing that, you know, I was continuing to hold the business back because I was the bottleneck. Yeah. And so I think one is just a mindset, allowing your team to make decisions and make mistakes and then look at those mistakes and as a team just determine, you know, what caused them, how can we do a better job and then creating the process around that, but not being so hyper-focused on, you know, customers can't be unhappy and I have to fix everything. And again, I think that was more of a mindset for me just because, you know, I was so used to, you know, being the customer face for so long that when I saw my team start to do, you know, I mean, it could be as simple as 
me thinking they took too long to answer an email, you know, so it's just crazy stuff that I was doing to hold the company back. And so it was really kind of trusting that I had a team that could do what needed to be done. And if, if they made mistakes, which we allow in this environment, you know, Mm -hmm. we welcome it as long as we can talk about it, then we can solve anything. And, um, so I think, I think that for me was huge and just letting them, you know, input like today, it's so great because if we say yes to a customer on something that's outside of, you know, kind of our menu, our team fights back, you know, and it's so great because they, they're protecting, you know, they're protecting us, they're protecting the business, they're protecting the processes. And initially that was a little hard for me because again, I was so used to doing what I wanted. So I think if you're trying to create a company that can scale, I'm doing everything I can. So this business runs without me and that, you know, it doesn't need me. And I think just that mindset alone helps you identify what things get in the way. Yeah. And I think it can be a really hard one for a lot of entrepreneurs. And it has to do with kind of, I mean, you know, sometimes it's kind of ego, but I think it's really about value. You know, entrepreneurs, they, they want to solve problems. They, they want to serve customers. They want to, they want to, they want to engage in problems. And so it's tough to kind of realize that if you want to scale the business, if you really want to see growth, you have to step out of that kind of being the critical person in the business and, you know, essentially creating a business that at some level doesn't need you for day-to-day operations anymore. But that can be, that can be tough if you haven't, you know, kind of switch that mindset and understand that that is, that's ultimately going to be powerful for you. So we're going to hit time here in a second. Uh, Wendy, I would love to give you a chance to, uh, you know, if people want to learn more about you, about Content Bacon, what's the best way to contact you and find out more information? Yeah, so definitely you can email me, Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y at contentbacon.com. I love conversations about entrepreneurship. I love helping companies with their, you know, content journey. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me, you know, about anything and everything. You know, our website has a ton of information, social media, but I'd love to, to hear from you and um, yeah, help however I can support you on, on this journey. That's great. Thank you, Wendy. I'll make sure for everyone listening that those links are in the show notes so they can click and, and learn more about Content Bacon and contact you. Wendy, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Have a great day, Bruce. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.